TheYeshiva.net. I want to dedicate today's class with uh, profound appreciation and respect and gratitude to my dear wife in honor of her birthday on uh, Shushan Purim Cotton. She was born on Shushan Purim Cotton. Esther Avigail Bas Rachel Sara, the wind beneath my wings. And uh, I want to use the opportunity to send my, express my gratitude and my profoundest blessings to her and all of her loved ones. With much health, happiness, prosperity, nachas, from all of her, our children, herself, and even from her husband. So thank you, and thank you, Esti, for everything. So today is Purim Katan, which is, of course, called the humble Purim, or the miniature Purim, or the, the small Purim. And the Mishnah says in Meseches Megillah, the first chapter, that there's no difference between the first order and the second order. In other words, for all practical purpose, they're identical. The only difference is that in the first order, we don't read the Megillah, and we don't give Matanus Laviyainim, which means the rituals, the mitzvahs that we do on Purim, we don't do in the Purim Katan. We don't read the Megillah, we don't do Matanus Laviyainim. The Mishnah does not mention a Suda that we don't do a feast on the Purim Katan or Shalach Manas. It just mentions that we don't do Matanus Laviyainim or the Megillah. So this created a very interesting debate, of course, among the halachic authorities, should we have a feast, should we have a su'uda on Purim Katan? And there are two views in halacha. So this is the last simon of Shulchan Aruch Erechayim, section uh, 697, Tafresh Tzadik One view is that one ought to have a special su'uda and mishta on Purim Katan, just like we have on Purim Gadol. And another view is, no, it's included in the fact that we don't do the Megillah, we don't do Matanas Lavyayin, and we don't do the Suda. The Ramah finishes off, and he says that the Minigas people don't make a feast on Purim Katan. But he says, but still, it's good to add in your Suda a little bit in order to fulfill the opinion of those who say you should have a feast, a special feast on Purim Katan, and add in Simcha. And he finishes with the words that conclude the whole Shulchan Aruch, a Pasuk from Mishlei Tesvav, Proverbs 15.15, Toiv Lev Mishtetamit which means a good heart is always feasting. A good heart is always ready for a party, is always ready for a mishta. So he says, so you don't have to be so particular. Purim katan, it's not real Purim. He says, a good heart is always, if you could find a good excuse, that's very interesting. The whole Shulchan Aruch ends on this note. You wouldn't, th- you wouldn't think that would be the conclusion of the entire Shulchan Aruch, which is seen as a book of laws and, and structure. It's all about structure and laws, but he finishes off on that note. Toiv Lev, a good heart, Mishta Tamid is always in a state of, of, of feasting, of joy, of openness, of, of celebration, which is a Pasuk from Mishle. Shlaima Melech says that there are two mindsets. The days of somebody who lives in a mindset of poverty, the days are negative, but somebody who has a good disposition, somebody who has a good heart, Mishta Tamid, they're always in a state of feasting, even on a regular day, certainly on a day like Purim Katan. It's interesting that the Ksav Seifer, who was the famous uh, rabbi of Bratislava, of Preshburg, the son of the Ksav Seifer, he writes something very interesting. He says that since the Mishnah says that there's no difference between the first other and the second other, only reading the Megillah and Matanus Yainim, so it sounds like a Suda we should do on Purim Katan. As I said, it's one of the views in Halacha. But he says that means the Mishnah also doesn't say Shalach Manas, that the difference is giving shalach manas. He says, that means according to that view, Purim Katan, you should be giving shalach manas as well. Very interesting view. And he explains why. He says, because shalach manas initially was instituted 
according to many opinions, as part of the Suda of Purim. When people celebrate with each other, you know, you go out to a restaurant with a bunch of friends, so you uh, exchange courses. You take a little bit from mine, I take a little bit from yours. That looks much better than what I have. So he says on Purim, when people were celebrating and feasting together, that's where Shalach Manas, that's why Mishlaich Manas became part of the mitzvah, because you exchange gifts, especially you know that somebody may not have food for the meal of Purim, so therefore, Shalach Manas was to really give them food so they may be able to have the Siddhas Purim. So the Ksav Saifa says, according to this, how does it make sense that I'm Purim Katan? You're doing a meal in honor of Purim, but it's a meal only for myself and not for somebody else. So he says, those who do the meal, Purim Katan, should also give Shalach Manas, send food to somebody else, they should also be able to have a meal. It's a little bit different than the Shalach Manas that we're used to today. Shalach Manas was actually like real food, not the more candies. The, today, often Shalach Manas is the less edible the better it is. Uh, the less healthy, the better it is. But really, according to this, was not just a symbol of friendship, of sending something, which is also part of it, but also actually giving food so that the meal of Purim is celebrated by everybody with the same, uh, same celebration and with the same abundance and the same harchava. Certainly, any way anybody looks at Purim Katan, it's 30 days before Purim Gadol. So today... I want to focus on one aspect of Purim, since we are on Purim Katan, and the preparations to Purim Gadol also begin, and Toiv Leiv Mishta Tamit. I want to begin, focus on one aspect of the story of Purim, the story of the Megillah, on this day, in prep- both because of this day and in preparation for the Grand Purim, for the Purim Gadol coming. I want to just begin with a story as an introduction. It's a story about the famous Rabbi of Lodz, Lodz was one of the great communities in Poland. You've heard of the community in Lodz and the Lodzer Shul and probably, unfortunately, the Lodzer Ghetto, Ghetto of Lodz as well. And the Rav of Lodz for close to 40 years, I think 35 years, was a Jew named Rebeliohu Chaim Meisel. He was a legendary leader, both in terms of his scholarship and more even in terms, equally in terms of his dedication. And uh, he passed away, Tofresh Ayim Beis, uh, 1912, Pesach Sheni. Yudalad Iyeh Pesach Sheni, 1912. And they tell a story that it was once a very cold winter in Lodz. And those are the days, these are the early 1900s or the late 1800s. And people relied on fires that they made in their homes, the fireplaces, in order to warm their bones and their wife's bones and their children's bones on a cold winter night or a cold winter day. And it was one particular winter, we know that there are different types of winters, that the coldness was simply unbearable. And poor Jews who didn't have enough money to buy lumber, to buy wood, were literally sitting and they were freezing. They were freezing, the husbands, the wives, and the children. And Rebellion, Chaim Meisel, made it his personal priority to raise money to be able to to give everybody money to be able to buy wood, to be able to build fires in their homes every night. So the story is that he once went to a very wealthy Jew who was known to have a lot of money, but he was not known to be as generous, as benevolent, at least not proportionate to the amount of money that he had, that he owned. And he went to see him, asking him to really assist in this urgent matter of Hatzalos Nafashas, of literally saving people, not just from discomfort, but what could be illness and, God forbid, much worse. 
So he comes to the home of this wealthy person who didn't usually allow people into his home. And he knocked on the door and the, ser- the servant or the assistant the person running the home came out. And he said, please tell the host, please tell the balabayas, the master of the home, that the lodger rov, the rov of lodger, Belio Chayim Meisel, came to see him. So of course, when he gave him that message, the man came outside. It happened to be at night and it happened to be one of the coldest nights of the winter. You know, in New York, you sometimes have the degrees. It's, it's two degrees, but together with the winds, it's, you know, nine below zero. You know those? Ten below zero. You know those nights. Just walking to your neighbor's home can, uh, can be quite an intense experience. It was one of those nights in Poland. And Rebbe Leo Chaim Meisel is outside, and the man comes out, and he says, Rebbe, to what do I owe this honor? Please come in. He says, no, 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 no. I just want to speak to you for a few moments. Now, he came out undressed because he just came to greet him by the door. <laughs> but in honor of the Rav, he comes out and he says, you probably know about this winter and you probably know about the fate of many poor Jews in a lodge and what their situation is. And I'm really creating an emergency fund because we need to save people's lives. And this is priority number one that trumps any other priority. And Rav Meisel, the Rav, is talking about it and elaborating on the crisis. And the poor man is trembling from cold. And he says, Rebbe, can we, can we please come in? I have a comfortable home. I have a wonderful fireplace. We could sit in the, in the salon, in the family room, in the dining room. He had a big house. He, was a, he had a mansion. Come in. He says, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't want to go into your house. I don't feel worthy. He says, Rebbe, it'll be an honor for me. He says, no, no, let's, let's, let's stay here. And he, he plays dumb and he's making himself oblivious. And he goes on and on. And, uh, and he says, you know, God has blessed you. And the reason he's blessed you is this money is a pecadin. It's a deposit you should have for yourself. But the amount, of, uh, a percentage of it, 10%, 20%, you give away to the poor people. And he's elaborating on the situation. And he's telling him stories of women and women who just gave birth and young children and older children and young adults and older people, senior citizens who are suffering. A second time, the man says, Rebbe, can we please continue the conversation inside the house? It's freezing. And he says, no, please, I just want to stay outside. I'm soon going to finish. And finally, when he concludes, he comes with the sachakal, with the punchline, and he says, this is the amount of money I need for you, which was an extravagant amount that he wanted from him. So the Gevir thought, and he said, okay, I'll give it to you. So he said, now I'll come into the house, <laughs> and we could continue talking. So he says to him, why didn't you want me to go? Why didn't you want to go in the house in the beginning? You could have said everything. He said, I could have said everything, but you would have not experienced anything I spoke about. I, need you to, I needed you to viscerally experience what I'm talking about, not as an abstract concept, but I need you to feel at least for 10 minutes, I needed you to feel what it is to tremble in such cold night after night after night and without knowing that the door is right here and just a few feet away you're in a warm home. I needed you to taste from the experience. Now that you tasted, now you understand, now that you empathize, you don't only understand, now I'm happy to come into your house and we could schmooze for as long as you want. I say this as an introduction to one, of the th- to one of the major themes we're going to be addressing today. We all know the story of Purim, but the story of Purim is so multi-layered and so multifaceted that it's really an endless story. 
like every story in Torah, there's layers upon layers. And there's nuances and details that sometimes you don't realize until you study it again and again. It's like Chumash. You could read the same story. How many times can you read the story of Yosef and his brothers? Every year you could read it again and see a new dimension to the story. And sometimes the way it is with always, always in Torah, that a small detail captures a fundamental theme. It's like we spoke once about the fact that it says in Chumash, Zeus HaTayra Adam, Adam Kiyamaz Baalim Parshas Chukas. Chazal say Torah is compared to an organism, to an Adam, to a person. Today we know that in each of the cells, there are around 60 or 70 trillion cells, and in each of the cells, there's a double copy of what they call the genome. This is just a discovery of the 1950s. And the genome contains within it the blueprint, the manual of the entire organism. It contains within it what we call today the DNA, the DNA molecules that contain a blueprint of how the entire body is constructed. So one would think that this type of material, this type of genetic code, you can only find in the brain. But the truth is, even in saliva, even in a nail, even in a strand of hair, every detail, every nuance, every crevice, every prat, even the tiniest part of the body, you could say it's it's the the the... the the hair on the, on the pinky or the toe, you have something in the leg or in the toe which is not so significant, not so essential, that also contains the blueprint of the entire body. And the same is true with Zeisatayra Adam, that sometimes in a small detail, you have a picture of the entire collective reality. When Mardukai finds out that Haman succeeded in convincing the Persian monarch, Achashverish, to execute his plan of genocide against the entire Jewish people, to literally exterminate Khalila, every Jew, Minar, as the Megillah says, Laroig, Lahashmid, Laroig, Olabadis, Kala Yehudim, Minar, Vadzak, and Tavan Nashim, Biyoim Echad, Biyoim Shloish Hasel, Chaydish Hasel, Shtay Masel, Chaydish Adar, to exterminate every Jew, Kala Yehudim, as Kala Yehudim, from young to old, children, women, men, no difference, all in one day. So we know Mardachai immediately puts on a sack. He comes close to the portal of the king. He can't go in, dressed this way, even though he was a prominent guest in the palace. And he summons, he sends a message to the first lady, to Queen Esther, and asks of her, pleads with her, to go speak to her husband, to the king Achashverosh, to nullify, to annul the decree. Esther is very hesitant. She sends back a message and she says that there is a rule. And the rule is that if somebody comes in to the king uninvited, Without an invitation, you go out with a head shorter. I was not invited to go to my husband, to the king, for 30 days. You're not dealing with a normal person. You're dealing with a dictatorship. You're dealing with a tyrant. You're dealing with a monarch who's an absolute dictator, even his own queen. He killed his first queen. He could kill his second queen. So Mardechai tells Esther, in his famous words, he tells her, don't think that you're going to be saved in the palace. The Jewish people will be saved regardless, but you and your father's home may perish. And who knows if this is not the reason you became a queen. And when Esther hears those words, she tells Mardukai, she consents and she tells Mardukai the following message. And that's your first source. It's in Megillah chapter 4. Esther Perig Dalit, Pasuk Tesvav, Tezai, and Yudzayin. And the message is, she says, Vatoymer Esther Lahashem al Mardukai. Esther sends back her answer to Mardukai. And what's her answer? 
Leich knois es kala Yehudim anem tzayim b'shushan v'tzumu alai v'al toichlu v'al tishtu shloishes yamam laila v'yayim gam anivin aresei atzumchein. You have it also in English translation. Go assemble all of the Jews who live, who are present in Shushan. Shushan was, of course, this capital. And let them fast on my behalf. Don't eat, don't drink for three days, night and day. In fact, me and my Nairoisai, my, my assistants, my servants in the palace, will observe the same fast. And then she says, Then, I shall go into the king, though it's contrary to the law. I'm not allowed to go in. And if I am to perish, I shall perish. This is the message Esther sends back. Mordechai didn't speak about gathering the Jews. Mordechai told Esther, go into your husband and plead with him. Tell him what happened. Tell him to nullify the decree. Esther said, I can't. I'm going to die. I'll be killed. So Mordechai responded and said, this is why you became a queen. This is your moment. This is your mission. So Esther now responds and says, okay, you go gather all the Jews in Shushan. Initiate a fast for three days and three nights. I will also fast together with my maidservants, and then I'll go into the king. If I'm made to perish, I'll perish. And the pastor continues, So Mordechai passed over. And he did He did everything that Esther has commanded him, has instructed him to do. And that's how the chapter ends, and then the Megillah goes on with the story of Esther going into the king on the third day of her fast. She dresses up in royalty, she goes into the king, she invites him to one party, invites him to another party, and ultimately salvation happens. Now you right away see here, just parenthetically, it's interesting, I think the Maharal of Prague writes, the Maharal has a commentary called Ur Chadash, the new light, it's a commentary on the Megillah. And he says that when one fasts for three days, day and night... It comes out to 72 hours, right? 24, 48, 58, 68, right? 72 hours. So he says, that's the gematria of Ubechein. Ubechein is Nun and Chaf. So you have 50, 60, 70. 50, 60, 70. Just the base. Ah? Bechein, Bechein, right? Very good, thank you. Bechein. So he says... Bechain. And with this Bechain, with these 72 hours, that's, that's how he explains the Bechain. I want to focus on one detail, which you may say is not significant at first glance, but as we'll see, it's extremely significant. It says, Vayavar Mordechai. Mordechai passed over. What does it mean he passed over? What did he pass over? He passed over and he did everything that Esther told him to do. Could have just said, Vayas Mardechai kol Esther. Mardechai did whatever Esther said. He gathered the Jews. He initiated a fast day. And that's what he did. But the Megillah says Vayavar. Vayavar means he was over. He passed over. This is a question that the Gemara asks. It's a very strange expression. What does it mean he passed over? What did he pass over? It could have said he went and he did. That would have also been superfluous. It could have said he did. So if you take a look in your next source sheet, Megillah Dav Tasvav. This is Talmud, the Gemara Megillah, page 15. And there's a debate. Omar Rav. There's a dispute. What does it mean Mordechai passed over? Omar Rav. Rav, one of the greatest Talmudic sages, says it means Shehevi Yom Rishon Shal Pesach 
He passed over the first day of Pesach with a fast day. Rashi says in the Megillah, Vayavr comes from the word Avera. Mardechai did, so to speak, in Avera. There was a sin. Why? He transgressed the obligation to rejoice on Pesach by instituting a fast day, which was, of course, Esther's instruction. And as Rashi explains, the decree came out on the 13th day of Nisan. That's what the Megillah says, Yud Gimel Nisan. So when Esther told Mardechai, establish a fast day for three days, it was Yudalad Nisan, Tesvav Nisan, Tezayin Nisan. Erev Pesach, the first day of Pesach, and what we call here the second day of Pesach. Or in Eretz Yisrael, the first day of Chalamayit. So that means, Yom Tif, they're fasting instead of eating. So Vayavar Mardechai, Mardechai was over, he transgressed, he violated, so to speak, the mitzvah of Pesach, the mitzvah of Yom Tif, by creating this fast day that continued Yudalat Tesvav Tezayin. There's a medrash that says that the fast day started Yud Gimel. They fasted the same day. It still would be Yud Gimel, Yud Dalet Rashi says in the, in the, in the Megillah was Yud Gimel, Yud And on the third day, of course, Esther went in to invite her husband to a party. So the third day was Yud Gimel, Yud She went in. There was a party. She invited him at the party for a second party. <laughs> that would have been Tezayin. It was a party of wine, so Esther, of course, got to drink the four cups of wine <laughs> with her husband. He didn't know. He didn't know that she's drinking four cups of wine, but she made sure there was a lot, a lot of wine. He got tipsy. Haman got tipsy, and she did what she had to do at her seder. She drank her four cups of wine. Then she invites him. She invites him to a second party, to Zion. Of course, at the second party, she spills the beans, and she tells Achashverish, who she is, and who Haman is. Haman falls on the bed, Achashverosh gets angry, Charvayna suggests that he hangs Haman, and that happened to Zionissin at night, Rashi says. To Zionissin in the evening, the second day of Pesach, in the evening it's even brought in halacha that the second day of Pesach, we should add something to our meal, our lunch meal, to Zeche, to the party that Esther made for Achashverosh on that second day of Pesach when the whole Yeshua began. The night before, of course, Mardechai, uh, the king couldn't sleep also the night of Pesach. But however, you organize the fast days. He was over on the mitzvah of Pesach. Chazal say that Mardachai said, if there's no Jews, you don't need Pesach. If there's not going to be a Klai Yisrael, nobody's going to eat matzah, nobody's going to drink wine, you don't need a Pesach. So that comes first. Whatever his consideration was, the Megillah makes sure to say, Vayaver. That's Rav. The second opinion is Shmuel. Shmuel Omar, the Avar Arkuma Demaya. Mardechai crossed over a stream of water in order to bring the message to all. He goes out from Shushan. He goes out from uh, the. He was talking to Esther. He was communicating with Esther through a messenger, through Asach. And now he needs to implement what Esther said. So he has to gather all the Jews. So it doesn't just say he did what Esther said. He passed over. What did he pass over? Apparently he had to go over a canal or a river or a pond or Kurumadamaya is a stream of water. He had to go over that in order to implement what Esther said. Now this interpretation is very difficult. And if he, why don't you say he had to cross a street and he had to go over a park and maybe there was a forest? What's the make, let's say, let's say some of Farsham say that apparently in Shushan there was a river or a stream. And it could be that many of the Jewish residents lived on the other side. So Mardechai had to cross the river or cross the stream in order to invite them. Okay, granted. 
But the Megillah makes a point of saying it, which is very strange, because why is that relevant to the story? What if we would have to cross a street? And what would we have to cross a few streets? And what would we have to cross a park? And what would we have to cross something else? Some landmark? It doesn't seem to be relevant to the story. You could have said, Mardukai did what Esther said. But it's somehow the Megillah wants to tell you that he had to cross over a canal of water, Kruma Demaya. That's Vayave Mardukai. Some say that in Shushan itself, there was a division, and the palace was in one part of Shushan. And Mardukai had a right to live there because he was close to the king. But most Jews lived on the other side. So to gather the Jews, he had to go to the other side. Granted, but the Megillah makes sure to emphasize this. Kruma Demaya. Now, in order to appreciate this, let's go to Esther's words. If we go to Esther's words, Esther tells Mardechai, Go and gather all of the Jews who are present in Shushan. And here the question is, what does Esther mean with the word kol ha-yehudim? She could have said it much more succinctly, leich knoises ha-yehudim, and I'm saying b'shushan. Go gather the Jews who are in Shushan. Mardechai was the manegador, he was the leader of the generation, he was the head of the Sanhedrin. Mardechai was considered the spiritual leader of the Jewish people. So if Esther says, go gather the Jews... Obviously, Mardukai would go gather all the Jews. Why would he exclude some Jews? But Esther says, go gather all the Jews who are in Shushan. Why wouldn't Mardukai? He would go gather the Jews. He would start pointing fingers and say, you, yes, this one, yes, this one, not. Why, why would we think to exclude anybody that Esther has to emphasize Kala Yehudim? Now you might say, Esther wanted to tell him, I want everybody to be gathered. But practically speaking, we understand that you can't always gather every single member of a nation. You have somebody who may be old, you have somebody who may be frail, you have somebody who may be sick, you have little babies, you have a mother who just gave birth. Not everybody could come to every gathering. And you can't force them. And even though Mardukai is the head of the Sanhedrin, they're in exile, they're in a foreign country, whoever could come is going to come. So obviously there's going to be people who are not going to come. So what does Esther mean when she says, Leich Knois, Eskola Yehud? Now you might say, that's how you speak. Maybe that's how you speak. But the truth is, it's not so simple. There's a, there's a tractate in Mishnah, it's called Erkin. Meseches Erkin. It has to do with how we evaluate. When a person says, I want to give, I want to donate to the Beis HaMikdash, the value of a particular person. There's different numbers, different ages, different Erkin. It's a, it's, it's a whole tractate in Mishnah, based on the Psukim and Parshas B'chukhoisei, and in Gemara. The Mishnah there begins with the word Hakoil. Everybody. Everybody can evaluate, everybody can be evaluated. And the Gemara unusually spends three dafim, three pages, daf beis, daf gimel, I think daf dalet, to go through the whole Mishnayis, wherever it says the word hakoil, and say, why does it say everybody? You could have just said the obligation, and if you don't exclude anybody, we know that it's everybody. If a teacher is saying, tomorrow the class is going on a trip, that means the whole class. If you want to say certain people are not going on the trip, specify. So you might say, maybe Esther didn't have to say it, but perhaps in wording, sometimes you articulate yourself verbally in a more elaborate way to specify what you're saying. Perhaps, but the fact is that it's transcribed in Torah. If it's transcribed in Torah, every word is precise and every word is considered divine. Especially the, 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 considering that Mordechai and Esther had other conversations. They're not recorded in the Megillah because they're not relevant. 
Here this word is recorded. And in the Megillah it's even more emphasized because you have to hear every word. So if somebody is hearing the Megillah, they have to hear the word koil. And if they don't hear the word koil, they're missing the Megillah. They're missing something essential in the Megillah. Every word is relevant. So the Gemara, for example, gives an example. In the Dafyoimi, many uh, of your husbands or children began learning Maseches Chagiga this week. Or actually last week, Friday, Shabbos, Friday. The opening of Maseches Chagiga is Hakel Chayavin Biri'iyah. Everybody, all Jews are obligated to come see the Shechin and the Beis Hamikdash three times a year. Pesach, Shavuah, Sukkot. Now the Mishnah goes through those who are not obligated. Women who sometimes have to stay home, they have little children, are not obligated to come Pesach, Shavuah, and Sukkot and schlep a tiny kiss to the Beis Hamikdash. I mean, they could come if they want, but they're not obligated. Somebody who can't walk, who's lame, Mishnah says, is not obligated. A child who can't walk is not obligated even in Chinuch. But Shammai says if he can't ride on his father's shoulders, he's too small, he's not obligated. But Silo says no, even if he could ride, but he can't walk himself holding his father's hand, he's not obligated even for Chinuch. Somebody who can't see is not obligated. So the martyrs asked the first question, why do you start off Hakal? Why do you say Hakal? Everybody, Mai. who do you want to include? You want to include somebody. If not, you could have just said, Jews are Chayev and Re'iyah, excluding these. You could even start off, these and these individuals are excluded from the mitzvah. We understand, everybody else is included. So if Esther is not excluding anybody, everybody is included, and the Gemara goes through dozens, it's interesting, dozens of examples. In the whole Mishnayis, wherever it says the word Hakoil, what are you trying to teach me? Something is fishy. And here the Gemara Taka says, they're teaching that even somebody who only has eyesight with one eye, according to this Mishnah, may be obligated. That's the haka. Or another opinion is it's a slave. So usually slaves are not chayev to come to the Beis HaMikdash. But he's chetzi eved v'chetzi ben He was bought by two partners and one of them emancipated him. So 50% of him is free. 50% of him is still enslaved. Is he chayev? So that's why it says hakal. Even that half a slave, you would think he's excluded. He's also included. The Gemara says, the hakel is a everyone is chayiv and megillah. The Gemara says, what's hakel? The Gemara says, you would think women usually are not chayiv and mitzvahs, essay shazman grama. Mitzvahs that are connected to time. Megillah is connected to time on Purim. The Kiddush is they are obligated in Megillah. So when it says hakel, even in Mishnayis, or in Brais or in Gemara, which is Tayyash Peh, it's precise. Everybody is always including a certain category that you would have excluded. Certainly in Tayyash Abiksaf, where every word is even more precise and meticulous. When Esther says, Leich Knois, not es hayehudim, es kol hayehudim. There is somebody, she's somebody or some group she's referring to that Mardechai would have excluded. So if she said, go gather Jews, and you would think, okay, that's everybody. Why should Mardechai exclude anybody? If she wants to exclude, she should say, besides. She didn't say besides, it means everybody. That wouldn't have been enough. Mardechai would have excluded somebody. And Esther understood that. So there was a subtle contrast here, a subtle debate going on. And if you want to see how meticulous this is, take a look how the Pasuk speaks about what Mardechai did. Vayas Mardechai, Vayas Kechoyl Asher Tzivsal of Esther. Here again we have a superfluous word. It should have said, Mardechai did what Esther told him. Now, if Esther would have told him to do, 49 things, right? So when a woman tells her husband, a a wife tells her husband, I need you to do 49 things, she makes him repeat. 
And there's a good reason for it. Because you know, we have discussed it in the past, male brains are like waffles, female brains are like spaghetti. In waffles, every waffle is self-contained and you do not allow the maple syrup to go from one waffle to another waffle. Everyone has it square. There's a big mechitza in between and they shall not meet. With spaghetti, every strand is interconnected and integrated with many, many more. So I understand if Esther would have given him a to-do list of even 15 things, and you say, Marduk, I got it all right. You ever see guys shopping in Evergreen or with the list, and then they call, right? I know for myself. They call and they send pictures that I get it right. One item, okay, two items. And if the guy, if he, the truth tell me, if he comes home with 40 items and they're all right, you can make a shechionu. <laughs> There's usually something off. So, Vayas Esther. What did Esther tell him to do? Esther told him to do one thing. Gather all the Jews and they should fast. <laughs> so could have said, Vayas Mardechai, Esther. Vayas, he did what Esther told him. You want to say he did everything that Esther said? Say, Vayas Koil. Vayas Kechoil This word Kechoil is brought in the Megillah another two times. Over there I understand. It says that Haman had the scribes write in the decree everything that he suggested to Achashverosh. In other words, not a single Jew is being saved. And when Mardechai had Achashverosh reversed the decree, the scribes wrote everything that Mardechai and Esther said. Every detail how the Jews can defend themselves. That's very clear. Here, the Torah says, Vayas Mardechai kechayl, like everything that Esther said. But the truth is, we understand why. Because Esther said, Lech knois. So what did Mardechai do? He got that point. He listened to the coil of Esther and that's what he did. The question now is, what group of Jews would have been excluded? And why did Esther then have to, have to say, And the answer to this, or one of the explanations to this was shared by the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Abrengen after Purim, Shabbos, Parshas, Kisisa, Tezai and other Tovshin Lamed Aleph, 1971. There was a group that Mardechai would have excluded. So when the Gemara says, Hakoil, it says, Hakoil, Asuyamai, who do you want to include? Esther was including a certain category. Who would Mardechai exclude? And the answer to that is, Esther told him, go gather the Jews of Shushan. Now the Jews of Shushan had a complicated history. Because we know, you can look in your next source, Megillah Daf Yud Beis Amar Aleph, Tractate Megillah, page twelve. Shalu Talmidav Rav Shimon Ben Yechai. The students asked Rav Shimon Ben Yechai, "Mipnei Man is Chayvu Sainayin Shayisol Shabayisya Adar Kloya." Why did the Jews of that generation? Why was there a decree of extermination against them? Amar Lehem, Rav Shimon Ben Yechai, as a good teacher, said, "Imru Atem." Why don't you answer the question? Amru Loi. They said, "Mipnei Shenenu Misudaser Shaloisay Rosh." Because the Jews enjoyed the feast of that wicked person. Let's remember Achashverosh on the third year of his reign threw a party for 180 days. That's a half a year. 180 days. Asa HaMelech Mishta, he made a party. L'chol Sarov, Avad of all of his ministers and all of his servants. For 180 days the man was drunk. At the beginning of the Megillah. When the 180 days were up. He still didn't have enough. You could think, Mahulat, the guy was partying for 180 days. That's a half a year. <laughs> a year is 365 days. This is Mamish almost a half a year. 
It wasn't enough. Asa Melech. The Melech made a feast. Lechol Ha'am. For the entire nation, not just the people who worked for the palace, all of his subjects in the capital, he made a feast for seven days in the courtyard, in the garden, in the house of the king. And the story go, and the Megillah goes on to describe the details of the feast, what was served, how it was served, the types of materials and fabrics with which he decorated the feast. And that's when the story with Vashti happened. He wanted her to appear. And ultimately, excuse me, she was removed as a result. Says the Gemara that the students of Rav Shem ben Yechai said, Nenu The Jews enjoyed the feast of that rush. The Mepharshim say, so that's an Isser of treif. Eating treif is not deserving of extermination. So there's many different interpretations. Those who say the Rosh Yosef says they ate fat and blood, which is, an, which is a penalty of karas. Others say because Achashverosh made this party to celebrate the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, he made a calculation that the 70 years since the destruction have passed and the Jews are not going back and they're not rebuilding the new Beis Hamikdash. And he even used the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash and he displayed them at the party. So Jews enjoying such a party is a completely different case. Others say because Mordechai and the Sanhedrin told them not to go, so they violated the commandment of the Sanhedrin. Others say the word is Nenu Misudosai. Finally, their enjoyment came from the fact that Achashverosh invited them to the Shushan White House and he took a selfie with them and their picture was published on the front page of the Shushan Times and from this came their dignity. Finally, we made it. We're not anymore the distinct, weird, archaic, tribal nation of Jews. We're finally integrated. We're assimilated. The king has us rub shoulders with him in the White House of Shushan Nenu. It's not that they ate, they enjoyed it. Not just they came. You have the king invites you, you come. This became their identity, their raison d'etre. There's different explanations in the commentaries. So the students, so, so the students asked them, if so, the decree should have been only on the Jews of Shusha, not on any other Jew. That's what he, asked them. So they said there was something else, and that the other Jews in the other countries were engaged in idolatry in the time of Nebuchadnezzar some decades earlier. If this is the case, we could now understand what Esther meant when she said, Leich Knoises Kala Yehudim. Mordechai thought to himself, Esther is telling me to gather all the Jews. And gather them for what? Gather the Jews. And gather them for what? The first thing is Jews should be united. Leich Knois. That's what Maral explains. Leich Knois, Jews have to be united. When there's a challenge, when Jews are united, everything is different. That's number one. It's like a fortress. When Jews are united, you create a fortress and nothing can get through. If Jews are disassociated, if there's a lack of cohesion, if there's a lack of unity, so it's like a city has a fortress and there's breaches everywhere because we're not together. Leich Knois, bring the Jews together. Besides that, Leich Knois means bring them together like base Knesses, to Davin, to pray, to learn, to Davin. And then she says, and fast, which is a concept of tshuva, returning, introspection, reinvention, transforming yourself. So this is Esther's task. So Mordechai is thinking to himself, who should I go invite? I should go invite everybody. I'm going to go invite those Jews who for seven days were rubbing shoulders and eating trefus and drinking ayin nesach and enjoying the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash, Russia. Especially Esther wants that they should fast for three days and three nights. People who didn't stop parting for seven days with every conceivable drink and food in the world as the Megillah describes in such detail. 
Kalim, Mikalim, Shainim, Vayain, Malchus, Rav, Kiyadamelech, Varsia, Chados. There was endless drinking, Kirtzait, Nish, Vayish. Everybody could do whatever they want. The party was literally endless and infinite, according to the Asagas of Achashvesh. And now you're going to have these Jews fast for three days and three nights. At best, you can influence these Jews that they should start eating kosher. Before they eat, they should make a bracha. After they eat, they should bench. They should acknowledge that God gave them the food. But to go from one, one extreme of a party of seven days without a, a sign of Yiddishkeit, to the other extreme of fasting for three days and three nights, it's not practical. It's not conceivable. It's too much of a radical transformation. Mordechai may be thinking, how can I go to those Jews? Furthermore, we have a principle, Ein Kateger, Nasa Saneger. We know that the prosecutor doesn't suddenly become the defender. In a law, in a loss, in a, in a, in a courtroom, you don't ask the prosecutor <laughs> to start cross-examining one of the witnesses to help the defender. That's not what the kategor is paid for. It's not what he's interested in. We know that the Kayan Gadol on Yom Kippur didn't go in with garments of gold into the Kaidish HaKadashim. Why? So Chazal say, because the gold is what the Jews used for the Egel Azov, for the golden calf, in the Parshish Kisisa, this week's Parsha. And Ein Kateger, Nasa Saneger. You don't take the gold, so the Kohen Gadol went in with simple clothes made out of linen, on Yom Kippur. The rest of the year he had gold. gold. Mardechai here is also taking the Jews inside, into Avodas Pnim, into their Pnimius. It's a moment of mysterious Nefesh. So Mardechai is thinking to himself, I can't go to these Jews who are the greatest prosecutors, they are guilty for the decree. If they're guilty for the decree, and that's why Esther wants us to fast, and he wants us to fast three days and three nights, <clears throat> parallel to the days of Ahasuerus's party, excluding Shabbos, which is six days. Three days, three nights. So you're going to take now the people who are the Kategers to become the Sanegers? It doesn't make sense. And generally... Mordechai, the Rambam says that the way of living is you go the middle path. Rambam and Hilchis Day is Derech HaMitzuah. He says if somebody goes to extreme, one extreme, then you have to go to another extreme. Mordechai is a tzaddik. Mordechai follows the straight path. He doesn't deviate. He wants to deal with Jews who are good Jews, who are righteous Jews, who are Erlechid and Frumayid. Esther understood this. So Esther understood that if she tells Mordechai, go gather the Jews... Without one word, Leich Knois, Eskola Yehudim, Mardechai on his own, ra- logically and rationally, would have excluded certain Jews. These Jews who were engaged in Nenu Misudasai, and those Jews in Shushan who were certainly engaged in prostrating themselves to the idolatry. Here is where Esther comes into the picture. Who is Esther? The Gemara says in Chulin, it's your next source, Chulin Kuflam Etes Amid Beis, Talmud Chulin, page 139b. Esther Min Minayin. What's the source for the name Esther in Torah? It's a strange question. Why do I have to find a source for Esther in Torah? And the Gemara answers, Shenemar, it says... Moshe Rabbeinu, in his final day, speaking to the Jewish people in Parshas Vayelech, he says, V'anoichi haster aster Hashem says, I will hide and eclipse my face on that day. The word Esther originates in Torah in the words, haster aster Because the word Esther comes from the word Hester, which means concealment. Not only that, the Gemara says in Tractate Megillah, Rabbi Yehuda says that Esther wasn't her real name. Her real name was Hadassah. 
Esther was a nickname. And why did they give her the name Esther? Because Ein Esther Magedes is Amavas Beladata. Esther was very discreet and confidential. She was a hidden, modest person. She didn't express where she came from. That's why she got this name Esther. But that became her classic name, according to Rabbi. The others say her name was Esther and her nickname was Adasa. Rabbi Huda says, no, her name was Adasa. Esther became the name that becomes attached to her because of this discreet quality, this quality of concealment. What's the idea of Esther? What are we looking for? A Pasuk that uses the word concealment. This Pasuk is not just a word that says Hasta, so we connect it to Esther. It brings out the Chiddush, the uniqueness of Esther. Esther understood that sometimes in life, truth is concealed. And truth is so concealed that it's her very name. They say Churchill once said that in a time of war, the truth is so precious, you have to protect it by bodyguards of lies. Esther understood that sometimes what you see at the surface is far from reality. Don't judge a book by its cover. It's not just a cliché but it's sometimes a path in life. I'm going to hide my face. So if you look at the surface, all you could see is Hester, hiddenness. But as the Baal Shem Tov once said, aster, aster. even in the Hester, Aster is also Anoichi. The eye is present even in the concealment. This Esther is the one who could perceive. That became her very name. She's the one who tunes into such an error and she says, that Vanaychiastat is an error where there is concealment, and you have to be able to know that it's concealment. Because the only thing that's worse than concealment is when you think the concealment is revelation. When I think the concealment is absolute, when I don't know how to see beyond it. Esther is the person who teaches that you have to be able to learn that there is concealment, and truth could sometimes be deep down beneath the surface. It has to be excavated, it has to be extricated, it has to be revealed. And therefore Esther had to teach this also to Mordechai. You want to exclude a certain group of Jews because at the surface they're responsible for the gzeir. They're responsible for the calamity. They could never be inspired. Let them be who they are. We're going to focus on a certain group. Esther is the one who says... You have to understand what is beneath the surface. And you have to understand that sometimes truth is very concealed. That's the Chiddush of Esther. And therefore we have to look deeper. And let's see what Esther is saying. The Gemara says in the next source, Megillah Daf Yud Gimel. The Gemara says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcham, Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcheset. Esther yirakroikis hoysa v'chutshal chesed mashukhallah. The Megillah describes how gorgeous Esther was, how appealing Esther was. Says Rabbi Yeshua ben Karchan, it's a very strange statement. I want you to know that Esther's face had a greenish color to it. Yerakroikis. Yerakroikis in Hebrew means greenish. As the Mepharshim say, like a hadas, like a myrtle, like a myrtle branch, what we use on sukkahs, what people use for Shabbos sometimes. That's what it looked like. So why was Achashverosh and everybody was so overwhelmed by her? So Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha says, Chutzel Chesed Mashachallah. There was a, a thread of grace, of Chesed, that was extended over her. There was like a halo of, of light, of graciousness, of Chesed, that was on her. And when people saw Esther, they just, she imbued them with that sense of, of comfort, of ease, of graciousness, of Chesed. 
That's what the, that's what the Rabbi Shulban Karcha says. What does he mean? And why do you have to say this about Esther? It says Esther was, was, was amazingly appealing. So he says it was a special chutzal chesed. Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, who was one of the greatest Kabbalists, he's known as the Ramak, he authored a famous work called Toymedvaira and many other works. He lived in the 15th, in the 1500s, he passed away 1570. He's buried in Svas, those graves that are dyed with blue near the Arizal. Ramak was a Rebbe of the Arizal. Passed away Chav Gimel Tamas Shin Lamet, 1570. So he writes in the Sefer of Pardis that Esther was the Shitta of Beis Hillel. <laughs> we know through two schools of learning, Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, of course, many generations after Esther. Esther lived before the second Beis Hamikdash. Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel lived a century before the destruction of the second Beis Hamikdash, a few hundred years after Purim. But Beis Shammai was a school that was stringent, and Beis Hillel was the school of Chesed. The school of Hillel is lenient. The school of Shammai is stringent. It says in Zoya that the souls of Shammai, the soul of Shammai and his students came from Gvura. And the soul of Hillel and his students came from Chesed. So Chutzal Chesed, the Ramak says, this is the view of Basil. To understand the depth of this, let's see one argument between Beshame and Basilo when it comes to a wedding. Now you're going to know half of this argument because it became a Jewish song. But for some reason, the authors of the song cut out from the lyrics most of it. And you'll see why. They were smart for doing it. It wouldn't have become so popular. So you know half, the, you know, you know this song, but it's only half, half the story. This is a Gemara in Ksuvis Tazayin Amid Beis, Tractate Ksuvis, page 16. You have it also in English. In other words, he was saying that physically, Esther's face was greenish. Nonetheless, her appeal was so powerful because there was a chutzal chesed. I didn't use those words. I didn't say she wasn't pretty. I said, she was greenish, which is not usually the color. Huh? What? Her complexion was greenish, yeah. The Vilna Gaon actually writes, the Vilna Gaon writes, it says in the Megillah that Hanara was, 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 was so beautiful and Vatissa Be'enikor, everybody who saw her was, was enamored. So he says that initially she was, but her agony of being by Achashverosh changed her complexion. And that's what caused this. He says sometimes when people are not feeling well, there's, there's a greenish color. And he says, but still the Chutzal Chesed was so powerful, it eclipsed everything else. And people were just enamored by her. That's how the Vilna Gaon explains it. Chutzal, what is this Chutzal Chesed? What does it mean? There's a Chut, a Chut means a thread. So it's, it's a metaphor, obviously. Chutzal Chesed, a very interesting expression. The strand, Chut is like a thread of, of Chesed that's Mashuch. Mashuch is, it's extended. It covers her, it encompasses her. It's like Nimshach, it's extended over her. What does this mean? So the Chazal say, Ketzad Merakdin Lifnei HaKala. It's the second chapter of Ksuvois. How do you dance in front of the Kala? The school of Shammai says, you praise every bride according to who she is. You emphasize her good qualities. Ubeisilo says, no, there's something generic. You say it to every bride. Kala nova chasuda. The bride is beautiful and gracious. She's gorgeous and chasudah. She's full of, of grace, of kindness, of goodness. This is where it gets a little interesting. 
Beshamai says to Beshillel, excuse moi. Why do you have to encourage people to be politically correct and not say the truth? Find what she's good at and talk about that. You don't have to say about somebody who's short that they're tall, somebody who's a little overweight that they're skinny. Don't do that. I know you want to be nice. And I know you want to be pleasant, but it takes away the value of your words. You just say the same compliments to everybody. <clears throat> Nobody takes you serious. You know, you're crying wolf, wolf. But the person says, your food is always amazing. Always. <laughs> yeah, I know your food is always amazing. <laughs> it has to have meaning. When I was a yeshiva bacher, there was a joke they used to say. The Chabad boys in the summer would go out on what's called Mekeshlech, small communities to build Yiddishkeit over there. So Rabbi Chadakov was the Rebbe's secretary. He'd always give them a prep talk before. And he always said, you're going to eat in the Rav's house, whoever's house. After the meal, you go over to the kitchen and you thank the Rebetzin for the food. And you explain to her how you enjoy the food. So one of these boys was a real yeshiva bacher, a little abstract. So at the end of one of the meals, he went over to the Rebetzin and he said, Rabbi Chadikov, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's secretary, said, I should tell you that the food was very, 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 very good. He followed instructions. Yeah. Platitudes could be empty. And Beishamai gets very dramatic. He says sometimes, and he uses two examples, somebody who's chas v'shalom can't see, somebody who's lame, because he wants to talk about visible things. Something is visible. He says, why are you going to get up and say, here is the epitome of beauty? Choose other things. Helen Keller said, the only thing that's worse than not having eyesight is lacking vision. Don't talk about the eyesight. Talk about the vision. And he uses the words, midvar sheker tirchak. Follow me. I said, figure out some, every person has virtues. Talk about that. It's like the shatchin, you know the joke. There was once, maybe it wasn't a joke. <clears throat> there was a shatchin who offered an older girl to go out with somebody. And she described, the shatchin described to her that he's gewaldic, he's a gewaldic abach. Anyway, she comes back from the first meeting, and the shatchin says to her, or the shatchan says to her, how was it? Now this was, he was still there, was, uh, came back to the house, and he was there, dropped off, whatever. So she whispers, she says to the Shatchan, you're a dirty liar. He says, why am I a dirty liar? She says, you told me he's smart. The guy is as dumb as it gets. You told me he's handsome. He's mamish the opposite. You told me he's tall, he's short. You told me he's slim, he's fat. You told me he's refined, he's actually grotesque. She's whispering. The Shatchan says, you don't have to whisper, he's deaf too. So, Beishamah, he says, find the mylas, don't exaggerate and don't dramatize. Good. This is his question. You see why in the song they took out the view of Beishamah, right? But Beishamah doesn't hold that. So now listen to Beishillel's answer. Okay, let's follow your way of thinking, okay? You are the honest people. So you always say, Things the way they are. We don't dramatize. No empty compliments. 
no vain platitudes. Authenticity, granted. Somebody went shopping and they bought a mekachra. Mekachra would mean an inferior acquisition. And I should add a parenthesis, and they can't return it. There's no return policy. Somebody's wife comes home, somebody's daughter, son, husband comes home, they bought something, they spent half of their savings account on it, you can't return it. And you look at it, and one look, and you want to faint. But they ask you, no, what do you say? So should you tell them how ridiculous it is, how they squandered and wasted their money? Remember, they can't return it. <laughs> or you should praise it. Of course you should compliment them. They're wearing it. They come to shul. They come to their daughter's chasana, all dressed. You would have never bought it in 1.1 million years. So you tell them how horrible it is, because that's what you think. Of course you say the nice thing, that's his answer to Bishama. What's the answer? That's Bishama's issue. My issue with you is that your compliments mean nothing. <laughs> You just always say nice things, so you're a nice person. But the Torah says, But this is Basil's answer. And the Gemara finishes, From here the sages learned a lesson. A person's disposition should always be integrated with people. What's that? How is that connected? The sages didn't know this. From here, from this debate, they learned a lesson. The lesson is, don't live in an ivory tower. Mu'revis. Be mixed up with people. Mixed up means integrated. Famished. Call Yisrael, Arevim Zebazeh. All Jews are guarantors for each other. So the Baal Shem Tov said, Arevim also means famished. Like Taruvis, La'arev. All Jews are Arevim Zebazeh. Famished. And then Arevim means also Zis. Vaharivna. Right? Vesera, Vaharev. Vaharivna, Hashem Alekechaz, Divrei Seroscha. Make it sweet. Arev, machal arev, is sweet in Hebrew. Arevim, they're sweet. What's the argument between Bishama and Basil? It's a very interesting argument. At surface, you would think, yeah, Bishama says, let's just all be PC. Smile, be politically correct. They know you don't mean it. It's fine. It's just how we do things. And Bishama says, I'm sorry. Torah says, Midvar Shekhetirchak. Basil didn't know about a Pasuk, Midvar Shekhetirchak. The argument between Bishama and Basil is a very fundamental argument. It's not just about this. It's a question about life. And the Gemara says about Esther, Chut shal chesed Beishamai says, you have an interesting argument on Mitzoy Shabbos. Mitzoy Shabbos, when you light a candle, what do we say? Baruch HaTashem Alekeinu Melech HaOlam, Beishamai says in Brachas, 8th chapter, you don't say that. You say, Baruch HaTashem Alekeinu Melech HaOlam, Shebara Meoir HaEsh. Hashem created the light of fire. We say He creates the lights, the illuminations of fire. <laughs> Everything we have to argue about. So the Gemara says, Beishamai says, there's one flame. Ma'ir. Beisilo says, no, no, look at the flame, you'll see many colors. You ever looked at a flame? There's white, there's orange, there's red, there's green, there's, there's yellow, there's black, there's blue. Ma'ireha ish. is like Basila. 
I want to ask you a question. You think Beishamai didn't know flames have many colors? I look at a flame, my child looks at a flame, your child, they see many colors. Beishamai didn't know? <laughs> There's a fundamental question here. Beishamai knows that you could look deeper, but Beishamai says halacha relates to reality based on what you see. Beis Hillel says, I know there is what you see, but it's always important to be able to take an x-ray, to be able to take a CAT scan, to be able to go deeper and see what is beneath the surface. Beis Shammai says, you can't lie, you're at a wedding, speak truth. Beis Hillel is not saying to lie. Beis Hillel is saying, you came to somebody's wedding, take off your glasses and put on the chassan's glasses. The chassan chose this person as his wife. There's a famous Gemara in Saitachain Isha al Baila. In a good marriage, a woman adores her husband and a husband adores his wife. Chain Isha al Baila. Why? Because it's his. She belongs to him and he belongs to her. It's mine. The night of a wedding, Basil says, You came to a wedding. For him, she is the most gorgeous greatest, most gracious woman in the world. You may have different opinions. Okay. But you're at a chasana. You're at his chasana. Take off your glasses. Put on this person's glasses. You're not lying. You're just understanding that for this chasana, she is the most nova chasuda, no matter what the external features may be from your perception. And that's why he says, Mishalakach mekach. This person went and chose this kala. The kala went and chose this chasm. Because a marriage has to be consensual. We learned from Rivka, right? Rivka had to agree. She chose this chasm. He chose this kala. We're talking about a real choice. For him, she is the greatest gift in the world. I went to the shuk and I lokach. So of course you should but there's one condition. You have to be integrated with people. If I'm sitting in my own ivory tower and deciding reality, then I'm lying. But if you understand who people are, if you could see things from people's perspectives, it's not a lie when you tune into the inner world of another person and you could describe reality from their perception, even though... In your world, there may be different perceptions and different ways of determining reality. Ah, Beishamai knows there's many flames. Beishamai says, you see a fire, you're enjoying the fire. Beishamai says, no. Look at the various features. Dig a little deeper. Analyze, dissect. And then you'll see the various colors, the various flames. Get into the Pratim. Be nuanced. Be nuanced. Halacha wants you to be nuanced. There's a fascinating art, a fascinating story in Gemara and Shabbos, Tractate Shabbos, page 31. There were three Gentiles who came to Shammai. They wanted to convert. The first one said, I'll convert, but only Teresh I don't accept Teresh So Beishamai threw him out. The second guy said, I'll convert on the condition that you make me a Kayin Gadol. <laughs> so Bishamai threw him out. The third one said, I'll convert, but you have to teach me the whole Torah standing on one leg. In other words, I have 40 seconds for conversion lessons. So Bishamai threw him out. 
They all came to Hillel, and Hillel accepted all of them. And they all became Gevaldik Hagerim. And they say the three people came together, they were already Jews, and they said if, if, if we would have remained, if Shammai would have been the only one we met, we would have been distant from the Shekhinah. Hillel is the one who saved us. So the question is, well, Shammai seems right. A person comes and says, I want to convert, but I don't accept 90% of Allah. Okay, so you're not serious. I have nothing against you. Teach me the whole Torah on one leg. Thank you. Imagine if somebody comes into Harvard Medical School. Teach me everything there is to know about medicine within two minutes. What is this, a mockery? Teach me everything there is to know about science and physics and mathematics within 10 minutes. People are dealing with this for 4,000 years. What are you making a mockery out of Judaism? I want to be the kind God. <laughs> no, who's right? Beishamai was right, but Beishilal was right. Beishamai was right because Beishamai listened to their words and their words were inappropriate. But Beishilal says, I know their words are inappropriate, but listen to what's behind their words. They're good people, they just don't understand. They may be ignorant, they may have been misled, they may have misconceptions. And indeed, Hillel started to teach them. And Hillel said, Aleph Bays. he started to teach Aleph Bays. The next day he said, okay, we're going to learn the Aleph Bays. Bays Aleph. The guy said, yesterday it was Aleph Bays. So Hillel said, ah, Hillel said, even for the alphabet you have to rely on me. So for the whole Torah, you're not going to rely on the sages who taught it? So okay, it was over. He became again, he accepted Torah Shabbat the other person he heard, he learned Chumash, Azar HaKariv Yumas. Even Moshe Rabbeinu can't go into Kaidash HaKadosh. Even a Yisrael, the holiest Jew in the world, can't do what Aaron said. He said, ah, even a Jew can't, even a Yisrael can't be a Kohen Gadol. It's not racism and discrimination that you don't hold from people who are not from the Aigana. He was in. Basilel saw, you have to listen to what's behind people's words. Comes Rabbi Shur ben Karachan and says, Esther, is this Kala? If you would have looked at Esther, what would Bishamai say? You can't talk about Kala no. The complexion is very different. But Chutzal Chesed Mashachallah. Everybody saw Esther, they said Kala no Vachasuda. Because there was something Pnimiyazdik in Esther that emerged. Esther says that Amak is the shit of Basilil. Chutzal Chesed. What's Chesed? Chesed is the ability to see that which is hidden beneath the surface. Vanoichi Haster Aster Panebayaimahu. So when Esther looks at a Jew, you could look at a Jew and say, spiritually, chigeres, the Jew is lame, spiritually lame. He doesn't know what it means to rotzla mitzvah. Spiritually erect means the Jew, both of his or her legs are healthy spiritually. Their arms are healthy, their legs are healthy, as the Mishnah says, rotzla dvar mitzvah. Or summa, spiritually a person who has no vision, they don't see reality. There's a pasuk in Yeshaya, "Samim chayshich la'ayv ha'erlechayshich mar la'masak ha'masak la'mar." A person who has vision sees the difference between nighttime and daytime, between light and darkness. A person who has developed taste buds knows the difference between bitter food and sweet food. You know, people that everything they eat, the bitter is sweet and the sweet is bitter. The Rambam says it's true spiritually as well. That's what it means, summa. So they're talking not just about a kala, a physical wedding. They're talking about klal Yisrael. Beishamai says, you look at a Jew and you see Chigeris Isuma. How could you say this Jew is beautiful? How could you say this Jew is gracious? I didn't make up a lie. This Jew's Taka has a blemish. The Jew Taka has a chisar. 
the Jews spiritually may be lame or lack vision. So Beishamai says, Kalakamashi, find out some nice qualities and talk about it, I don't mind. Comes Beishilal and says, Mi shelokach mekach min hashuk. The Rebbeinu Shalolam went out of the Chartonim Hashem went to the marketplace and he chose this soul. Hashem chose every Jew as his kala. Veirastichli, as the Navi Yeshayah says, Veirastichli, I betrothed you to me. Yosis Hashem, Alayich, we say in the Chadoidi from the Navi Yeshayah, Yosis Alayich, Alekoyich, Kimisois, Chosan Al Kala. Hashem went and chose this kala. Now you're at the chasana. So what should you tell Hashem? This Jew is beautiful and this Jew is ugly. What do you think is the right thing? You should... The chasana is here at the chasana. Should you tell the rabbinah shalom, chasana, bad choice. You should have called me before the wedding. You should have called me. That's what you should tell Hashem. You say, I'm looking, I don't see. So Shmuel Anovi told... So Hashem told Shmuel Anavi, Al Tabeit El Mareyu. Shmuel looked at all the sons of David, of Yishai. Don't look at the external feature. Ha'adam Nayim Vashem But there's one condition. You have to be integrated with people. Malachim, throughout Chazal and Tanakh, they always find avlas by Jews. They always have what to say. Don't give them the Torah. They did this wrong. They did that wrong. So it says in Sfarim, that's all till the Malachim come down to this world. They're sitting in heaven. They look and they say, these are beautiful people. These are gracious people. These are sinners. Suddenly you send a Malach down to this world and you see even a small mitzvah they can't keep. Hashem tells the Malachim, even Basa Bechalov you couldn't keep by Avram Avinu. Hanefilim Hoyubarif, they come down to earth with the Nisyonis. It's a whole different story. Only a Neshama prevails in this world. If you understand people, if you could see things from people's perspective, from other people's perspectives, if you understand the journey of a neshama in a guf, if you understand the nesioyness of Olam Haza, if you understand the trials and tribulations that people go through emotionally, psychologically, physically, financially, spiritually, internally or externally, if you appreciate the fluctuations and the vicissitudes of a person's soul and their journey in Olam Hazah, in often a challenging life with the stress and the anxiety and the obstacles, etc., etc., Beis Hillel says, you're not lying. You're just looking beneath the surface. You'll see it's not just colorful, it's full of colors. You have to be able to look beneath the concealment. So Esther knows about the Jews that Nenom is Sidasa But she's the one who tells Mardechai Lech Knois Eskal HaYehudim. And here it goes one step further. And the Gemara continues that Rabbi Yudhi Rabbi would dance with a hadas in front of every kala and he would say kala And the hadas is of course that color of Esther. So he would dance with a hadas and say, because the halach is not like Beishama. The halach is like Beishilo. The Arizal says when Mashiach comes, the law is going to be like Beishama in everything. Why? Because when Mashiach comes, then you could talk a paskin like Beishama. No problem. When Mashiach comes, there'll be a seamless flow. 
the inner and the outer will be one. Of course you should paskin like Beishama. But be in, in a time of Galus, the Allah is like Basila, not like Beishama. There is dissonance. There is a dichotomy. My soul is sometimes trapped and concealed. My brother once shared with me a line. Somebody asked Michelangelo how he managed to sculpture David. His sculptures are brilliant. How he managed to do it. So Michelangelo said, I saw the angel trapped in the marble. And I chiseled away on the marble and I set the angel free. Esther understood that the angel is trapped in a marble. That's what haster aster means. There is concealment. And when there is concealment, I could do one of two things. I could become part of the problem or I could become part of the solution. Part of the problem means I surrender to the concealment. I, I create even a deeper concealment. I cause the darkness to grow. Or I can actually shine a light and reveal the various lights, the various illuminations that are beneath the surface. I could put on a deeper pair of lenses and say earnestly, Kala na vachasuda, chutshal chesed. There's that grace that you could see, mashuchala, on that person you say, eh, yellow, green, I don't like the spiritual complexion. It's not my taste. But Esther fulfills something much more. Remember, where did Mordechai live and where did Esther live? These Jews came to a party of the king for seven days. He invited them. What happened? They stumbled. They failed. They ate non-kosher food. They celebrated in a party of Arusha. Who understood their test? If not Esther, who was living for years in a non-Jewish environment and understood the Nisayan of eating kosher food in such an environment. Mordechai never had such a test. Mordechai was a tzaddik. Mordechai lived in Yidin. Mordechai had a yeshiva. Mordechai was a Rosh Sanhedrin. Fakert, when Mordechai came to the palace, they gave him kashras, mahadrim and amahadrim, badats, eidachredes, rabbi lando, alagutazachet. But Esther couldn't say she was a Jew. If Esther would have could say, I'm a Jew, so Hashverish would have arranged a catering every day. The caterer would bring in breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She'd probably get sick of it after a few days. But fine, he would make for her a kosher kitchen and hire kosher chefs. Hashverish had money. But Esther couldn't say she was a Jew. So she couldn't ask for kosher food. So what happened? She ate kosher for years without anybody knowing that she's dafka eating kosher. How deep was that test? And how difficult was it for her? And how much could she empathize with a Jew who in such an environment does surrender? And furthermore, we see in the Megillah something quite surprising and startling. And I'm going to ask you to look at the next source. After Ksuvis, Megillah Yud Gimel Amad Aleph. That's the same page where we spoke about Esther's complexion. The Pasuk says, Esther was brought to the king and there was a fellow Haggai. He was in charge on all the women that were brought, and he saw Esther, and he deviated, he gravitated, he made changes for her and her maidservants, Latoyev, in the positive. What did he do? Amar Rav. Rav said, Hechila Michael Yehudi. He gave her kosher food, even though they didn't know she's Jewish. The Mepharshim say they knew that she was raised by Mardechai. They thought Mardechai raised a non-Jewish girl who was an orphan, but she said, I grew up in a Jewish house, I'm used to kosher food, so he gave her kosher food. 
The Ben Yoyada says she claimed that kosher food is healthier, so they gave her kosher food. He was the rabbi of Baghdad, and he says that he heard that the Queen of England eats uh, kosher shechita because treif comes from illness, so she doesn't want it. That's what he writes. He passed away in 1900. I never did the research. He says, Esther could have said, I want to, the Jews know how to eat. They have good, they, remember there was the Tilisidayim by Jews. They, they're good with hygiene. They're good with, they, they, they eat, their kosher food is healthy food. She got away with it. Shmuel Omar Shmuel says, Shechila kadlei dachaziri. When it says he treated her well, in her, his mind, a goyish mind, how do you treat a girl well? He gave her the fat of the pork, of the chazer. Kadli the chaziri is the shuman, the fattiest, choiciest parts of pig. He gave it to her. That's what happened. So Esther in the palace was given kadli the chaziri. And then he gave her legumes and sprouts, what we like. Millet and peas and sprouts, all the good things. Now look at Shmuel's opinion. I want to ask you a question. Did she eat this pig fat or not? Take a look in Rashi. Rashi says, It's the fat part of the chazer, of the swine, of the pork. And because she was an oinus, she was starving. She had nothing to eat. And to refuse it, she might die. Or the king would kill her, or they would kill her, because she's supposed to be a potential queen. This is before she became a queen. So she ate it. And there's no penalty for it. She was an oinus. It's like a person who's starving. That's Rashi. He served it to her. Hey, guys, served it. But she never ate it. It's an argument between Rashi and Toysvis, how you learn the Gemara. The fact that she was offered chazer, that's not a question according to Shmuel. What she did, Rashi says she ate it, Shmuel says uh, she did it. Now I want to ask you a question. Why did the Rebbeinu Shalom have it that Esther would eat according to Rashi, Kadli the Chaziri? She could have asked him for another food. Apparently it didn't work. This is what he wanted she should eat. And she would have starved or been executed. But the Hashgacha had Esther eat this food. Even according to Taisvah, she didn't eat it, but she was tested. According to Rashi, she ate it. What happens? But now we can understand. Leich Knoises Kola Yehudim. Esther is Murevesim Abrius. When Esther thinks about the Jews who Nenum is Sadasa she doesn't understand them. She feels them. She empathizes with them. Even according to Taisvah, she never ate it, but she understood what it means. And according to everybody, once she became a queen, it says in Targum Sheni, she didn't even eat Bishalakum. Forget about eating Trev. She didn't even eat. She was completely kosher without telling anybody she's Jewish. So for years, she understood the Nisayan of being in an environment where there's no kosher. And what it means to fight, she understood those who failed, those who unfortunately stumbled, those who unfortunately who surrendered. She understands the Nisayan. It's something Mardechai can't relate to because of his amazing life experience. And in fact, if you ever learned Sefer Daniel, you know Nebuchadnezzar took from Jerusalem young children and they became his top advisors. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah. Nebuchadnezzar put them all on a very, very rich protein diet of meat. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah asked the maltzer, asked the cook, the chef, please give us zarainim. 
give us sprouts, give us legumes, give us these types of... He said, I can't. Nebuchadnezzar wants you to grow well and healthy. He's going to kill me. They said, do it for 10 days and we'll see. He fed them for 10 days, these seeds, and they looked better than the other ones, than the other servants. So that's what they continued to eat. This is in Tanakh and Daniel. They said they're Jewish, they were taken from Yerushalayim. So finally the king understood, you give them kosher food. Esther couldn't say she's Jewish. So it was one long battle of being the queen, being at every party. You know how queens are, especially in the Persian monarch. You have to be the hostess. You see what the king wanted from Vashti, but she can't eat non-kosher. She understood the Nisoyen. And now here is the deal. You cannot help somebody, really, if you don't experience what they're going through. In fact, when Mordechai first sends a message to Esther about the Xerish, he says, he, it's a, Megillah says that he gave over to Mordech, to Esther, Esa Sherkarahu, what happened to him. It didn't happen to him, it happened to everybody. The answer is, if it didn't, it didn't happen to everybody, it happened to him. Because only when I feel it on my own flesh, only when I feel it in my own guts, in my own blood, can I really, really experience. Somebody else, can I help them? There's a very profound story that occurred with the son of the Balatanya. He's known as the Mittler Rebbe, Reb Doiv Ber. In Chabad, he was the second Rebbe, the son of the Balatanya. Rabbeinu Doiv Ber, they called him the, the Mittler Rebbe. He passed away, Tovkuf Peches, uh, 1827, on Teskislav. He was once seeing people on Yechidus. Jews were coming to, for counsel, for blessings. And he was counseling them, he was giving them advice. They call it Yechidus, a personal, private audience between a Chassid and a Rebbe. After a few days, somebody came in, and he spent some time there. And when he left, the Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe locked the door, and he said he can't see anybody. And for the next three days, he was in a tainus. He didn't eat. He davened, but he couldn't see people, and he wouldn't see people. And behind the door, they heard him say Tehillim, and they heard him crying a lot. And after three days, he opened the door, he broke his fast, and what happened then was, he asked that they bring the person back. And he continued on. When I say he fasted, he, he ate something at night, I believe. But during the days, he had a tainus. So his son asked him, Rebbe, what happened? And he said something unbelievable. He said, a Jew came and he shared with me something he did. Whenever anybody shares something they did that was destructive, that was inappropriate, I don't give them advice. I first find that action within myself, even if in a more refined way, I find it within me, and only then can I help them. This person came, and his crime, his sin was so heinous, it was so beyond comprehension, that I realized I cannot find it in myself. And then I thought, but Hashem sent him to me. That means I could help him, but I can't help him. So for three days I had to become truly introspective until I discovered this quality that was hidden inside of me and then I can help him. So what is he really communicating here? The depth of what he's communicating here is that if I do not feel what you're going through, I can't help you. And it's not something that we intuitively understand because we think, I'm smart, I have experience, I may be a therapist for 69 years, I know all the textbooks, of course I can help. 
It's not true. It doesn't work that way. I had a conversation a few weeks ago with Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who's considered one of the top world experts on trauma. He's not Jewish. He wrote the book, The Body Keeps to Score. He's been a doctor for many years, but he's, he's, he was, he's considered like one of the top experts. He lives on trauma. He lives in Massachusetts. And uh, I asked him, it was, it's on the web. I asked him if, uh, from all of his years of experience, he's, he's in the medical, mental health field, 50 years or more. When a person is choosing a therapist or a professional to speak to, who, what field, what type? There's so many and everyone, you know, you know I, I was asking like you ask a shatchin, you know, where do you begin and, and how do you know if the person is good and how do you know if it's successful? People are often so vulnerable in such a state, you know, they need desperately help. And, and what form of healing? There's so many different forms of therapy and different models of healing. What model would he, would he suggest from all of his abundant experience? And he said something fascinating. He said, it, it almost makes no difference. I said, what makes no difference? He said, it almost makes no difference the level of education, how much they know, and what form therapeutic model they're using. I'm saying, that's coming from you? He says, I'll tell you what makes most difference. He says, of course you need to be educated. And of course you need to know what's going on. And of course you need to understand the variables. He says, that's not the most important thing. I said, what's the most important thing? And he said these words. The most important thing is that a therapist should be a worked out person internally so that they don't bring in their own issues into the healing so that when they're sitting with somebody, they could completely open their heart and become a containing presence for the other person's journey. And the only way you could become a containing presence for the other person's journey is if you know what's going on inside of yourself. He used a word that I'm not going to repeat. He says, if you don't have your spaghetti worked out, you will never be able to really heal people. If you're coming from a place of, I know your problem, I'm, I'm coming from a place of authority. I said, but that's what all psychiatrists do. He says, yeah, many psychiatrists are psychiatrists, but they're not people. I'm like, what are you telling me? He's saying, very often people are just textbooks. You fit into my textbook, here's medication, next. He said, the key, the key. He says, sometimes you need medicine. Sometimes it saves lives. But the key is, the key is that I could really, really tune in to your life, feel it, experience it, and I become like a womb. You know, the Maral says that rechem, the, the word for womb, rechem, comes from the word rachamim, compassion. What, what, what's a womb? I feel uncomfortable preaching about this here. But what is it? It's, 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 it's spiritually I'm talking about. It's containing the child. That's what it is. That's its whole tafkit. I'm not here to judge the child. I'm not here to decide what type of soul the child has or what type of body. I'm here. That's what rechem is. I'm here to contain. But how do you contain somebody else? I have my issues. Can I contain you? I come with my mind. I come with my issues. I come with my distractions. Especially if it's your child. There's so many expectations. That's where it becomes really difficult. But in the world of Chinuch, whether it's in a school or in a house, this is the Yisoyed HaYisoydus of an educator or of a parent. Because what happens when you have an educator who may be brilliant and may be a very good person and idealistic and really good and they mean well. There's only one issue. They don't experience what the student is going through. They never had to. 
They don't know what it is. They know it maybe from a book. But experientially, I can't be on you with your journey. And if I can't be with you on your journey, automatically I come from a more judgmental place. I come from a place of distance, from superiority, authority. Not that I mean bad. I may be a very nice and good meaning and ehrlich person. But when that child or that boy or that girl feels that womb, they feel your presence. They feel that emotional energy that you actually get me. And now I can actually be here with you without judging and with full love. And like Esther, I don't allow the concealments to distract me. I don't look at you and say, but, but, after this session you got to be normal. <laughs> Snap out of it, girl. Snap out of it, boy. Come on, give nachas to your parents. Those are normal human emotions. I'm not judging any of those emotions. We all have them. But that's not where healing comes from. All healing comes from, and this uh, the Rebbe understands that he has to find this. And I have to tell you, the sin that this person did was not that he forgot Maya Machreina. What it was, I'll tell you the word in English, I'm not going to elaborate, it was necrophilia. That's what he came to the Mittler Rebbe for. But he wanted to do tshuva. The larger of Rebbe Leo Chaim Meisel understood if this person doesn't know what it is to be outside on a winter night, he understands tzedakah. Who doesn't understand to be nice? But I have to feel viscerally the cold. I have to feel the pain that this child is going through. And if not, I have to be humble and say, I don't feel, I don't understand. That's also a madrega. So Dr. Bessel van der Kolk told me, he said, Rabbi Wari, I'm telling you, the level of education is nice and important. That's not the key. The key is how worked out you are in yourself. Do you know how to suspend your ego? Do you know how to suspend your expectations? Can you notice your own anger? Can I notice my triggers? Can I notice what's happening inside? In other words, my main work is not here. My main work is here. Here. Can I notice it and see if it's controlling the conversation? The Baal Shem Tev put it brilliantly in a Mishnah that says in a Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah, Shliach Tzibur, She'enoi Mechuyev Bedavar, Enoi Moitziyas Harabim Yedei Chayvasan. A Shliach Tzibur who's not obligated in the mitzvah can't fulfill the obligation of somebody else. If I'm not obligated to blow Shaifer or read the Megillah, I can't do it for people who are obligated. So he said, the word is Shliach Tzibur She'enoi Mechuyev. The word Mechuyev, we translate as obligated, it really means guilty. A Shliach Tzibur She'enoi Mechuyev Bedavar. If he's not guilty, he can't take out the rabbim from their guilt. If I am not part of your experience in any form or fashion, if I cannot find your flaw inside of me, if I cannot find your pain inside of me, if I cannot find your mistakes inside of me, if I cannot find your struggle inside of me, maybe in a different way, it doesn't mean that I'm a copy of you, but it means that I can relate to this. I can feel what's happening inside of you. Now, I can really be there in your world and help you see your light because I help you see your light from your darkness. Esther had this ability because Esther knew what these Jews went through. She found it in herself. She ate Kadli the Chaziri according to Rashi or she had to fight against it according to Toysavus. So when Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu that the Jewish people created a golden calf, the words that he uses, the two words is lech raid. 
go down. So Reb Tzadik HaKoyen of Lublin writes, and also the Kamarner Rebbe writes, in Kesem Oifer, he says, Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, you're on the mountain. <laughs> Lech Reid. You're going to have to go down into their space in order to be able to lift them up. In fact, Reb Tzadik says, and the Kamarner says, that's why Moshe broke the Luchas. Nobody knows. Why did he break the Luchas? If the Jews were undeserving of them, hide them. Give them back to Hashem. Put them away. You know, the luchas were not... It's like, you're, you're angry, I understand. So when you're angry, you take something that's worth $100 million and you break it. And this was not worth $100 million. This was priceless. There's no substitute. Let's say you buy your husband a gift. You come home. He's giving you an attitude. You're in a bad mood. So you destroy it. You put it away. Hopefully, there'll be a better day. Sell it on eBay. Whatever. What's the price of the luchas? So Tzadik says something astounding. He says, the Gemara says in Masechus Shabbos, Kuf Dalet, somebody who breaks utensils out of anger, it's a form of idolatry. So he says shocking words. Hashem told Moshe, if you want to lift up the Jewish people, you're going to have to go down. But Moshe had no connection to their sin. He was on the mountain. So he broke the most expensive utensil out of anger. In a very, very subtle, subtle way, he now had a connection to them. And from that place, he can uplift them. And you'll say, but why? Why can't I just sit on the chair and look at you and give you advice? And I can't explain it, but it's a, anybody who's, who's involved in this knows the experience of it. That's how all healing happens. All healing happens from that energy where the person can experience you believing in them from amidst that place because you know what that place looks like. So Esther comes to Mardechai and says, Tayyidah Mardechai, I know what you might be thinking. Leich knois es kol hayehudim. Go gather kol hayehudim. Why kol? Leich knois es hayehudim. Because Mardechai will naturally exclude a certain category of Jews. So Esther says, Hakoil, Hakoil, Suyamai, those Jews that Nenu Misudasa Shaloisa Russia, and those Jews that Ishtachavulat Salam, yes, invite them to fast for three days and three nights, bring them into the gathering, and you know what will happen? The Gemara says, the tree is felled from the wood of the axe that's taken from the tree. And that's why the prophecy about the defeat of Esav came from Ayvadia. Was a descendant of Esav because you take the wood from the tree to create the axe to cut the tree. These Jews that they'll create the transformation. This tree, their fasting will be the true transformation. That will make this hapcha. So Leich Knois es Kol Hayehudim. In Kabbalah also it says Mordechai comes from the world of Atzilus a world where there's no evil, Esther comes from the world of Malchus, known as the world of Bri, Yitzir, Asiyah. When Mordechai wants to gather Jews, he gathers Jews from Atzillus. He gathers Jews from a holiness. Esther says, every Jew. One more detail, look at her words. She could have said, gather the Jews, all of them. She starts off with, who do you start with? She starts with these Jews of Koil. 
Because the Gemara says in Chrysus, a tainus that does call tainus she'en ba mipoysha Yisrael, a fast day, that doesn't include the sinners, kavayachal of Israel, is not a tainus. That's why in the Ketoris, the 11 herbs, we included chelbina, which doesn't have a pleasant fowl. So if you want the knoises kol ayudim, she starts off with knoises kol. Start off with them. And from them, all Jews would be saved. This is what Esther says. Now comes the second Chiddush. Vayas kechoy lashetziv salav Esther. Mordechai didn't just do what Esther said. Kechoy lashetziv salav Esther. He understood the coil of Esther. He took her word serious. Leich knoises kol ayudim. He went and he gathered every single Jew. And every one of them successfully joined, like Esther foresaw, because she knew the pnimiyas of the Jews. She knew Anoichi Asta Asta. She knew Kalanova Chasudah. She knew what they went through. He went and did it, and indeed, La Yehudim the transformation happened. It's not just Haman was defeated. Base Haman Asati La Esther. The house of Haman was given to Esther. There was a transformation because it was a transformation by the Jews. He didn't just go to the Jews who initially are in a space of life. He created a transformation of Kola Yehud. And that created this Hapcha, that the transformation that Base Haman Asati La Esther. Ah, so the Torah, the Megillah uses the words, Vayavar Mordechai. Mordechai passed over. Rav says he transgressed the mitzvah of Pesach. So the Kamarna writes, Moshe broke the luchas to go down. Mordechai also had to do vayavr. He also had to descend. But then comes the view of Shmuel. Shmuel says, of our Arkasa The second view. He passed a stream of water. And who is this Shmuel? Yeah, the same Shmuel who said that Esther was fed kadli the Chaziri. When she came, she was given pork. Not because she chose it. It wasn't Nenu, chas v'shalom. But it was her experience. And Rashi says she had to eat it. Taisva says chas v'shalom, she didn't eat it. But she dealt with it, she struggled with it. The same Shmuel says, Vayavar Mordechai. He crossed a pond of water. And the question is, okay, he crossed the pond of water, very nice. But the Megillah has to tell me, Vayavoy Mordechai. But of course, as the Maral brings, when Avram was going to the Akedah, we know what happened. The Sutton created a whole sea, a whole river. What does that represent? Stop, don't go further, you're going to drown. Generally, an ocean, a water stream, a canal, a mikveh, something a person can't live in. Water is a dangerous place. We're not fish. We're not amphibious creatures. Passing into water, there's a concept of hagoymal, right? A botzrichim lahoyde, somebody who goes through a yam. Because a yam represents you going into a new world that's not inhabited. It's not a place that human, humans can inhabit. So the Gemara is explaining here a deep remiss. Mordechai had to pass through a gulf. Mordechai had to pass through a river, a sea, a stream, a canal, a shlulis mayim. A place like when Avram is going to the Akedah, you feel like, I can't, this is not for me, go back. The intimate sentiments, the inner sentiments of Mordechai are saying, why should I go over this? This is too hard, this is too difficult. I'm going out of a comfort zone, I'm going to a group of Jews. 
that don't belong to this. I'm not going to convince them to fast for three days and three nights. This is the obstacle that the water here represents, especially that you have to pass over the water, a Mayim al Jews who are so disconnected from the Mayim of Torah. But Mardechai listens to Esther. Vayas Vayavar. He went out. He went over the water. He went over this obstacle to do kechayl, the leich knoises kala yehudim. In every person's life, a person says, akati it's still a time of galos. I'll worry about myself. I have enough inner work and inner perfection to do. Comes Esther and says, no, leich knoises kala yehudim. Never ever give up on a person. Go gather every single Jew. And even in a time and a person that represents concealment, have the ability to be able to really see through it. Don't become part of the problem, always be part of the solution. Don't become engulfed by the darkness, see the light. And become that person who helps them see the light. Because only when I could see it, can I help the other person really, really, really see it. But it takes so much work because it's so easy to be trapped Literally, to be lured into the external trap, the ability to say, Kala Nova Chasuda, is so much inner work. It's being anchored in that space of infinity that sees the light in every mitzvah and every reality. The Leich Knoises Eskola Yehudim. And when I gather that call, beginning with those people who are closest to me, but Leich Knoises Kola Yehudim, without distinction. So then what happens? It's not just they're also saved. Mordechai is saved. Esther is saved. It's those Jews that ultimately allow the transformation and the salvation of all of the Jewish people. Have a wonderful week. Yes, yeah, so you're asking what compelled Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha to say that Esther had a yellow or greenish complexion, but there was a, a thread of grace that was drawn over her. She had this touch of grace and kindness. Why the need to say this? So the Gemara explains this is a Meseches Megillah Daf Yud Gimel, and it's quoted in the source sheets. You could go to theyeshiva.net, and over there you have the source sheets for every class. So it's over there. But you'll see the Gemara says, but the Bishop and Karcha says, you see, the Megillah says that her name was Hadassah. Hadassah Esther. So the question is, was her real name Hadassah or was her real name Esther? <laughs> Which was the nickname, Hadassah or Esther? Right? Rabbi Yehuda says that her real name was Hadassah, and Esther was the nickname. But there's different interpretations, how we explain why the Megillah gives her two names. Was she Hadassah or was she Esther? So Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha explains that Hadassah comes from the word Hadas, which is a myrtle branch like we use on Sukkot. So that's why he says that Esther, Esther really had the complexion of a Hadas. She had a greenish or yellowish complexion. But the Megillah says she was so appealing, she was so attractive. So chutzal chesed mashachalah, a thread of kindness. She had this touch of, of gracefulness, of kindness, that made her so so appealing to everybody, including, of course, to to Achashverosh. So this was her point: that Esther represents this kalanova chasuda. At the surface, you could say, oh. Esther has a greenish complexion or a yellowish complexion, which may be a sign of a frailty or illness, etc. But chutzal chesed right? That the, the, Esther had within her this amazing divine light that people just 
they melted, they melted in her presence. So Esther really represents this concept, and that's why maybe the Gemara says Rabbi Yehuda Berabiloi would dance with a hadas by a wedding in front of the kala and say kala nova chasuda. In other words, he followed the view of Basilo, but he danced with a hadas because Esther was the greatest testimony to this truth. <laughs> At the surface, you could say it's not this way, but the truth is, uveshia kala nova chasuda, and. Um, and that's the connection of Esther to Chesed. As I said, the Ramak said that Esther, that Beis Hillel follows this concept of Chuchel Chesed. And he says that's why the Halach is like Beis Hillel. Marsha Cordovero says this in the Pardis. So that was the uniqueness of Esther. That's the connection. And that's the general view of, of Hillel and Beis Hillel, as we explain. The, the source of this shear was a talk, a sicha, that was presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, as I said earlier, Shabbos, Parshas, Kisisa, Tezayin, Adar, Tavshan, Lamed, Aleph. That's 1971, two days after Purim, a day after a day after Shushan Purim. And a few months later, in the summer of 1971, Chafav on his father's yard site, Lubavitcher Rebbe presented a hadron on Meseches Chagiga, and there he explored the views of Beishamay and Beishillel and Shamay and Hillel in the whole Shas. And I combined these uh, these two talks from Shabbos Kisisa Tov Aleph and Chafav Tov Aleph. In my mind, they... Uh, they're very much connected. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.